It's disheartening that people will go around and do this. Stolen poppy donation boxes. Who knew Westminster police are now looking for? There's no such thing as a, a minor brain injury. ICBC's new payout rules. Why leading experts say fixing the insurer's financial crisis shouldn't come at the cost of crash victims. To suggest somehow that we're dragging our feet, it's November and he was elected in October. And the Premier weighs in on the ongoing war of words over Surrey's policing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Well, a day before we pause to remember the sacrifice of Canadian veterans, a legion in New Westminster is reporting how the theft of their poppy donation box has left them heartbroken. Police now looking for a man who took off with that box. And as Jill Bennett reports, it's not the only box that's been stolen. Surveillance video from the Legion cameras clearly shows a man sitting at the bar. He finishes his beer, then walks over to where the poppies and donation tin are beside the till. He then covers them with his jacket and asks to use the phone. When no one is looking, he walks out with the donations and the poppies under his coat. It's really hurtful that he actually comes into the Legion and does it in the Legion. There were three poppy donation thefts in New Westminster on November 8th alone, four in the last week. In addition to the Legion, poppy cans were also taken from Royal Columbian Hospital, Boston Pizza and a credit union. Everybody in our society owes uh, our sense of gratitude to our veterans and uh, if we're able to identify this suspect, we'll be pursuing uh, any relevant charges uh, as a result. It's unclear how much money was taken in the thefts, but it's clearly not the amount that matters to Legion members. Well, you almost haven't got words for it because it can't get much lower than something like that. Well, everybody is just completely disgusted by this happening. That's the lowest thing a man can ever do in his life. RCMP and Nanaimo are also looking for this man, suspected of stealing poppy boxes. There have been five taken from local businesses in North Nanaimo. If they're zap-strapped or, or tied down somehow, any sort of preventative measures would be helpful to reduce these sort of thefts. At the New Westminster Legion, there is a new poppy donation tray, staff will likely be keeping a close eye on it. They also have a message for whoever is stealing the donations. They're stealing from the veterans and the families of the veterans who come to the Legion for assistance. The Legion is here to help and, and that's all they have to do is come in and ask and we can do what we, what we can for them. Jill Bennett, Global News. Getting some breaking news just coming in. Vancouver police are asking for your help tonight to find a missing 15-year-old boy who has autism. Nicholas Liu was separated from his group and was last seen getting off a SkyTrain this afternoon at the city centre station at West Georgia and Granville. He is described as being five foot four. He was wearing a grey and black windbreaker jacket with a bright green zipper. He doesn't speak, may appear disoriented. If you see him, please do call 911 one right away and the advice is to stay with him until first responders arrive. Major changes to the way ICBC will be paying out for injury claims were suddenly announced by the province yesterday. One of those changes, a cap on how much a crash victim suffering from minor injuries, including concussion, will receive. Today, leading experts on brain injuries say this isn't the right way to fix ICBC's financial problems. Paul Johnson reports. They knew the dumpster was on fire, but they pushed it behind the building 
instead of trying to put the fire out. With that alarming analogy, most expected that money hemorrhaging ICBC was headed for some kind of intervention. But Friday's announcement is being received by some as radical surgery that goes too far. We've come to the realization there's no such thing as a, a minor brain injury. Jeffrey Singh is the chairperson of the British Columbia Brain Injury Association. He's concerned that the move to reclassify some concussions as mild injuries is too broad and may end up denying some crash victims resources they'll need to recover. A brain injury is like a snowflake. There's no two are the same. Pedersen throws it back and you can see Matheson throws them heavily down. Singh points out that the changes come as major sports leagues have been heading in the opposite direction, putting players on concussion protocol after damaging hits to the head and generally emphasizing a heightened awareness over the need to take concussions seriously. And they are treating those brain injuries or concussions as a serious injury. They're the most sweeping changes to be made at ICBC in 25 years, intending to cap skyrocketing injury claims. The NDP government says they'll save a billion dollars a year and allow for increased benefits in other areas. Since the news broke Friday, Global News has made multiple requests to interview Attorney General David Eby. So far, he has been unavailable. Paul Johnson, Global News. Some more breaking news just coming in. The police watchdog agency has been called to investigate an officer-involved shooting that happened on Vancouver Island around noon today. Shawnigan Lake RCMP were trying to arrest a suspect in an assault investigation when the man allegedly came at them with an edged weapon. Officers uh, firing a taser, but it didn't work. That is when they fired at him. The suspect was taken to hospital, but he did die from his injuries. Family and friends of a teen sex assault victim taking their frustration with the justice system to the streets today. The 17-year-old was brutally attacked at a grad party by a 16-year-old who was recently sentenced to just two weeks in jail, followed by time in the community. Kristen Robinson reports. No, no! It doesn't mean maybe. It doesn't mean maybe. Protesters outside Vancouver Youth Court disgusted with the punishment recently handed to a teen sex attacker. Two weeks and a clear message to all of us that we didn't matter! Yeah. Two weeks is just like uh, nothing compared to the effect on the victim. It just gives you no faith in our judicial system. It's an absolute mockery. We can't identify her, but two years ago, her 17-year-old daughter was rushed to hospital allegedly covered in blood after being brutally attacked in the women's washroom of the Encore nightclub, the scene of a no-booze, all-ages party. A 16-year-old boy was arrested outside. We ask that this young man receive the strictest enforcement of the law. After an investigation by the VPD's sex offense squad, the young suspect was charged with aggravated sexual assault and forcible confinement. We do have, unfortunately, a large number of sexual assaults. They don't, they don't often get to this level of violence. Last month, the teen was convicted and sentenced to two weeks in youth custody, the rest of his three-year sentence to be served in the community. I was so disgusted on the last day of court when he handed the two-week sentence down, feeling sorry for the criminal. 
Under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, the maximum sentence for a serious indictable offense is three years in custody. People! Power! People! This mother says her daughter is a survivor and moving on, although her PTSD will never go away. The criminal gets away with a slap on the wrist and the victim suffers for a lifetime. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The war of words over Surrey wanting to switch from the RCMP to its own civic police force is escalating. This is after Friday's deadly shooting of a 22-year-old young man. Now both the RCMP and the Premier are firing back at newly elected Mayor Doug McCallum and his urgency to get in the new police force. Nadia Stewart has the latest. A day after a 22-year-old man was shot and killed in Surrey and the conversation has become very political. At the center of it, comments made by Mayor Doug McCallum, who says the latest incident is, quote, why council and I have moved immediately to establish a Surrey police department and terminate the city's contract with the RCMP, end quote. But not so fast, says Premier John Horgan, adding the province has yet to see a plan from the newly elected mayor. To suggest somehow that we're dragging our feet, it's November and he was elected in October. So I think most people are thinking, how do you, how do you change a whole police force? Uh, you don't do it in a week, you don't do it in a month. So bring forward the plan, uh, Mr. Mayor McCallum, and I will happily work with you. The mayor has not made himself available for any on-camera interviews since making the statement, but he has spoken with Wake Up Surrey organizer Suki Sandu, who's impressed upon the mayor policing is just part of what needs to change. This also includes parenting, community engagement, our, uh, overhauling our school district model, uh, federal funding, federal legislation. So it's not just uh, a policing issue. In response to Mayor McCallum's comments, RCMP Deputy Commissioner Brenda Butterworth-Carr said, quote, statements like this risk undermining public trust and confidence in policing and challenges our ability to solve complex cases, end quote. Criminologist and SFU professor Robert Gordon says Butterworth Carr's comments might be a bit of an exaggeration. Still, he sympathizes with the force's frustration, saying McCallum's comments were wrong-headed. Here in this case, what we have is political expediency, overwhelming uh, policing efficiency. Uh, and that is, that is shameful. And I'm glad to see that the province has finally woken up to this. Gordon says the next thing the province, McCallum and Metro Vancouver mayors need to wake up to is the need for a Metro Vancouver police service. Nadia Stork, Global News. BC's Ministry of Children and Family Development is responding to allegations that one of its social workers was stealing from kids in government care. A civil claim filed in Kelowna alleges Robert Riley Saunders opened a joint bank account with a First Nations teen in his care in early 2016 and then used some of the youth's ministry benefits for his own purposes. The ministry says it became aware of the issue in December last year. They then took steps to make sure the youth was being properly cared for. The ministry also saying it has put in new measures to make sure money isn't misused. Saunders is no longer a public service employee. Expect more delays in your mail service as Canada Post workers have walked off the job in Metro Vancouver once again. The walkout was at a major mail processing centre in Richmond today. They're also on the picket line in the Gaspé area of Quebec as rotating strikes continue. Canada Post says since Vancouver is a key processing hub in the country, the strike action will delay deliveries. Talks between the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and Canada Post have been going on for 10 months now, but there is still no agreement.
It have a huge impact because on the weekend we still do all the dispatches and dispatches won't be going in today. It is frustrating for us all postal workers because we are asking Canada Post to bargain and come to the table, but they're not ready for it. A warning from a Kelowna man tonight for social media users. He says he received messages on Facebook from an imposter posing as a friend, telling him all about what he later learned was a financial scam. As Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, what's scary is that this was all done under the guise of a government programme. Altair Milares gets Facebook messages on a regular basis. So when he received one recently from a Facebook friend, he wasn't suspicious, at least not at first. What raised red flags with me is this, all this talk about financing. The person behind the message wasn't actually a Facebook friend, but rather an imposter, someone who had stolen his actual friend's identity to make it look like they knew each other. The fake friend then messaged Milares saying, Have you heard about the federal government empowerment grant offer? And I'm like, no. This is a program uh, specifically placed for those who need assistance, paying their bills, buying a home. The fake friend told Milares all he has to do is click on a link to apply for the government empowerment fund, which could offer huge sums of money and uh, that they would FedEx it to you if, if, apply, if, uh, if you qualified. And while it all sounds too good to be true, people have fallen for the scam since it first started three years ago in the United States. Over 500 uh, reports have been filed to the Better Business Bureau in the U.S., totaling over $360,000 in losses. Victims are led to believe that once they click on the link, they are dealing with a government agent who is authorized to grant supportive funding. What the catch is, is that they will ask for a processing fee of a few hundred dollars. So you may be entitled to thousands of dollars, but first you need to send them a processing fee of a few hundred dollars. And while Malaris didn't fall for the scam, he wants to share his experience to prevent others from falling victim. We are all vulnerable if we have our, our identities online. He's especially concerned about seniors and those struggling financially who may be lured by the promise of help. There's a lot of desperate people out there. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. A major effort to rescue a dog that ended up stranded on a North Shore cliff today. Come on, Blue. It's okay. District of North Vancouver firefighters called out this afternoon to save the dog after she became trapped on the lower end of a cliff at the Capilano hatchery. The dog's owner says that they were walking the dog called Blue when she suddenly took off ahead of them on the trail. They then called her to put her on the leash but just heard her barking. Crews had to use a rope and a harness to pull the chocolate lab back up the cliff to safety. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. When you're in need... You, you realize what, uh, you know, what's there for you. We just remind people to make sure that their pets are on leash whenever they can and in the areas they're supposed to, and or if it's an off-leash area that they have control or command of their dog. Because unfortunately, if the gentleman had have gone down into this canyon, it could have been an injury and or it could have been a body recovery because it wasn't in an area that the average person should be going down. Welcome back. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in France right now, where he is honouring the sacrifice of Canadians in two world wars. Today, he thanked veterans for their service as he toured the Canadian memorial at Vimy Ridge. Global's Abigail Beeman is travelling with the PM. 
on the Prime Minister's trip to France today and tomorrow are all about remembrance. This Remembrance Day marks 100 years since the signing of the armistice that ended the First World War. And during that war, Canada is best known for the battle here at Vimy Ridge. Over the course of a four-day battle, Canadians captured a German position that other allies had failed to do before, but it came with a heavy cost. More than 7,000 people were injured, nearly 3,600 were killed. The Prime Minister, along with the Veterans Affairs Minister and Canada's Ambassador to France, toured the Canadian cemetery here and laid a wreath at the memorial inscribed with the names of the 11,000 Canadians who lost their lives here in France over the course of the war. Trudeau also spent time with veterans at a reception. Well, certainly it was one of the, uh, uh, the first major battle that Canada was in. Uh, we had a tremendous loss of life. Um, and to quote other people, it sort of Canada became a country, as it were, with uh, General Curry and the Canadian troops and the, and the uh, great advancements they made and the contribution they made towards the winning of the war. While the Prime Minister's agenda is focused today on Canada's contribution, tomorrow, Remembrance Day, we'll see 80 world leaders gather in Paris for a ceremony to mark the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Vimy, France. U.S. President Donald Trump is also in France to mark the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day. He met with Emmanuel Macron despite lashing out at the French president for pushing the idea of Europe having its own defence force. Trump is also facing criticism for cancelling a trip to a cemetery to honour American veterans. The White House blaming bad weather for grounding the presidential helicopter. Instead, a delegation of U.S. officials made the two-hour drive east of Paris to pay their respects. Trump will visit a different cemetery tomorrow. Here in Vancouver, a special tribute on the eve of that 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. 8,500 handmade red poppies and 100 remembrance candles were placed at the graves of 4,000 veterans buried in Mountain View Cemetery. The commemoration event signalling the start of an all-night vigil, which will run until 3 in the afternoon on Remembrance Day. The public is invited to take part and pay tribute to the veterans who sacrificed their lives for peace and remembrance. I think it really brought out the community um, to do something for remembrance and today's event was about remembrance, peace and veterans and so many people came out to support it and were involved in making it, everything happen. And 100 years later, a family who died in one of the worst nautical disasters in West Coast history is also being honoured at Mountain View Cemetery. The Maritime Museum of BC installing a headstone for the seven O'Brien family members who were among 353 people who died in the sinking of SS Princess Sophia. The steamship struck the Vanderbilt Reef northwest of Juneau, Alaska on October 23, 1918. Passengers and crews were stranded for two full days before the vessel sank. Everybody on board was killed. More than 70 victims buried at Mountain View and the O'Briens had been resting unidentified until today. The installation of this new uh, gravestone is uh, our way of recognizing uh, the importance and commemorating this terrible tragedy that uh, the, our largest marine disaster uh, that has ever happened here on our coastline.
And just a reminder, Global National's Dawn of Freezing will be in the nation's capital this Sunday for Remembrance Day. You can watch our live special at 7.30am Pacific. That's going to be followed by live coverage of the Vancouver service at Victory Square with Chris Galis starting at 1030 so that is all tomorrow. Um, all right, let's get a check on sport with Barry and weather with Yvonne. And it was a pretty kind of decent-ish day. It was lots of sunshine. Yeah, a nice change in comparison to yesterday where we did have that rainfall. And it's great news because it's been a great start to our long weekend. For any of the Remembrance Day ceremonies tomorrow, it'll be a dry one. A quick check on the previous years where we have seen rainfall. It was back in 2014 uh, that we'd had a dry Remembrance Day. So a nice change in comparison to the past three years. It'll be on the cool side. I'll have more of the temperatures and what we can anticipate across the province for tomorrow. And a few spots we'll see the return for some wet weather leading into next week. The timeline coming up very shortly, but very pleasant for Remembrance Day. So All right. Good news. Thank you very much for that. And in sport, what's going on? Well, Canucks continue their road trip in uh, Buffalo, and it appeared for a long time the Canucks would have another win, but uh, gave up a couple of late ones, lost in the shootout, but still another point on the road for Vancouver. They still lead the NA or their division, the Pacific Division, and the Canucks going into tonight's game actually had scored the most goals in the league. I remember vividly at the opening of training camp how everybody thought the Canucks might be the team that scores the least goals in the NHL. And now, okay. right now they've got the most. So that uh, young youth, youthful group they have, uh, it's been surprising to say the least. So still. Well, that's nice though, isn't it? No it's kidding. About time it's we had a some nice, pleasant surprise. And yeah. Canuck fans, are, they're doing a lot of whistling these days. Yeah, and so fans must be... in just enjoying the fact that, you know, and that teasing is coming down. And they're darn entertaining, uh, yes. this team. So, oh, yeah. Nice. Welcome back in California. Three major wildfires are still burning out of control. More than a quarter of a million people have been forced to leave their homes. At least 11 people have lost their lives. Dozens of others are still missing. One of the city's hardest hit is Malibu. Here's NBC's Kathy Park. I thought you were still over there. I'm right here. Ferocious flames in Southern California tearing through the region, destroying homes and lives. I just came around the corner. I'm like, is that house burn? You can see through it. <laughs> Michelle Musseter lost everything. My babies grew up in this house. Overnight, the Woolsey fire doubling in size, fanned by fierce Santa Ana winds. Forcing massive evacuations, including animals, dozens of horses staying calm in the chaos. The entire city of Malibu threatened. Fire crew were doing a great job, but they were under, under, underpowered, really, and it was so overwhelming. Iconic beaches charred. This glitzy celebrity enclave, a ghost town. Nearby Pepperdine University had students sheltering in place. Today, crews are not only battling fires, they're fighting fatigue. More than 5,000 firefighters working around the clock. Meantime, in Northern California, the town of Paradise practically wiped off the map. Paradise is gone. The so-called campfire is the most destructive wildfire in California's history. Oh my God, the fire took everything. At the height of the firestorm, panicked residents escaped as flames roared on both sides of the road. Many abandoned their cars. Some didn't make it out. Thousands have nothing left. I'm devastated. I'm heartbroken. I'm alone. I'm scared. Um, Tonight, the Golden State glowing up and down, staying on high alert as dry conditions and heavy winds return, making the dynamic situation even worse. Kathy Park, NBC News, Malibu. 
And Washington State is sending 100 firefighters and 35 engines to help fight those blazes. Firefighters from King County are en route to Chico, California, where they will be joining local troops in the firefight. BC crews haven't been called in yet. In Calgary, just three days left until voters go to the polls to decide if the city should go ahead with an Olympic bid. Today, there was a last-minute push from both sides coming out strong. Here it is. The group against the Calgary Olympic bid braving the wet weather outside City Hall carrying signs that read no Calgary Olympics and vote no. They're saying there needs to be more transparency over funding and costs. On the other side of the debate, Bidcoat 2026 also pulling out all the stops, holding a free family event at the Olympic Oval. Skaters had the chance to skate with some Olympians and Paralympians. Big names included speed skater Denny Morrison and bobsleigh's Helen Apperton. Bidco says the Games are a way to continue the legacy of Olympic sports in Canada and inspire a new generation of athletes. A set of six stamps has been released by Royal Mail. This is to mark Prince Charles turning 70. His sons, both Prince William and Prince Harry, are also featured on two of the new stamps. One of them is a photo taken back in July at Buckingham Palace that was celebrating the Royal Air Force's 100th anniversary. Another stamp sees Prince Charles embracing his wife, Camilla. They go on sale from Thursday. The Prince of Wales turns 70 on Wednesday. In Health Matters tonight, a new study on the benefits of taking fish oil and vitamin D is coming as a bit of a surprise. It's suggesting that the supplements may not help prevent heart attacks and cancer. The study by the New England Journal of Medicine says a prescription-strength fish oil slashed heart problems in people at high risk, but lower amounts taken by healthy people didn't help. The same was said for vitamin D. All right, got some good news. If you like to do the grouse grind, the ride from the top of Grouse Mountain will be back up and running soon. The resort says that seasonal maintenance work that forced the sky ride to be shut down since November 1st has actually completed early. So the gondola will be up and running by tomorrow. Uh, of course, this is the easiest and most common way hikers get back down after completing the grouse grind and i so wouldn't know because i still haven't done it yet yvonne but i you know have. i've added that to your bucket list yes and you still <laughs> need to complete it and i just gotta you know g myself up it's too cold now for i me. know but it's okay at least you have the gondola as an option which is good <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna go up and down in that <laughs> i just wanted to show you a quick look yesterday we did see the first snowfall of the season for interior sections so the weather picture of what it looked like in Kelowna, areas near penticton uh, accumulating snowfall between two and up to five centimeters but it has dissipated for today there is the potential to see it later on into next week and i'll show you that in just a moment a glance at some of the numbers today pleasant with a nice clearing we're into the double digits out of the airport at 10 average for this time of the year sits at nine Kamloops today up to seven degrees and very chilly for the piece only getting up to the freezing mark for remembrance day great news we will see some fog for the morning hours but it dissipates by 11 a.m we are looking 
looking at a mainly sunny sky, a southeasterly wind, and temperatures tomorrow will be bumping up to 10 or 11 degrees, but our current temperature at 11 will be sitting closer to 8. Uh, for the day tomorrow, mainly sunny, it remains dry towards the evening, and then the overnight, we will see it dip down, down to 2 degrees, so chilly once again for our Monday. Satellite and radar, so a nice break across the province. This will continue to hold very strong for Monday as we round off the long weekend. So the future cast, it is going to be dry for both Sunday, Monday, and a look ahead on the upper level chart. Into next week, though, we are going to see this ridge weaken once again, and it'll likely be on Tuesday, late in the day for the south coast, and Wednesday for interior sections is where we could see some of that snowfall and accumulating, especially for the higher elevations and along the mountain passes, and it does remain unsettled towards the end of next week and potentially into next weekend, but that's still many days out. For the piece tomorrow, a, mi a minus six underneath a mainly cloudy sky. It bumps up for Monday with temperatures back up to three. Flurries will just be for the morning hours for areas near Whitehorse, much drier come the afternoon. A dry remembrance day for the north coast, temperatures up to eight. The rainfall makes a return on Tuesday and heavy at times. Caribou and central interior, mainly cloudy sky with temperatures sitting at the freezing mark. Columbia and Kootenai region dry over the next three days and still below the average that sits at five. The tops in Okanagan, a nice dry day for Remembrance Day with a partly cloudy sky and a high five. Whistler tomorrow will bump up to four degrees, even warmer for your Monday to round off your long weekend. And for Remembrance Day across the island, it'll be a dry one, but many spots for the south coast will see that fog developing overnight. It'll dissipate as we get closer towards the noon hour. Temperatures tomorrow will bump up to 10 degrees, a cool one for our Monday, but a dry one. And then it's Tuesday that we will see the return for some wet weather and quite unsettled for midweek mid onwards. Sonia? All right, Yvonne, thank you very much for that. Now, the thought of a child being approached by a stranger and abducted is every parent's nightmare. But for an 11-year-old girl in Arizona, it was a simple strategy and just the use of one word that saved her. Kristen Dahlgren tells us what happened. Just south of Phoenix, Arizona, one word may have made all the difference. This one time, it saved my daughter's life. Mom Brenda Jones describing the moments her 10-year-old daughter was walking home from a local park this week when a man in a white SUV pulled up. He told her that her brother had been in a serious accident and that he, she needed to come with him. So the girl did what her mother told her. She asked the man for a code word, a simple password the family set up just a few months ago to make sure anyone picking her up was really supposed to. I never thought it would be used and I I'm very proud of her for remembering that. Local Sheriff Mark Lamb says it spooked the suspect. And the guy covered his face, panicked, and took off. If not for that one code word, things might have been much worse. Prepare your children. You know, you can never prepare enough. Other simple things parents can do to keep their kids safe. Don't put your child's name on things a potential kidnapper might see. Children tend to trust adults who know their name. Have an updated ID-style photo and get your child fingerprinted. Stranger abductions are rare, but the lesson tonight, sometimes a little planning, really can save little lives. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News. All right, let's talk uh, Canucks then, shall we, Barry? Sure, the yeah. long road trip continuing in Buffalo, and yes. they just keep on doing great things. So 
we'll uh, start with them. Good All right, thanks, Sonia. The uh, Canucks let one slip away today in Buffalo. They had the Sabres by two goals late in the third, but could not hold the lead and lost 4-3 in the shootout. But for the most part, it was another very solid effort by this young team that is down five regulars. Now, with the three goals, the Canucks now have 60, which going into tonight's games was the most in the NHL. That's through 18 games. Everyone thought this team would struggle because they wouldn't be able to score, but they have proven pretty much everybody wrong. Elias Pedersen, Rasmus Dahlin, the battle of the rookie Swedes, neither really sparkled today. First period, Stabers strike first, Kyle Oposo, perfect backdoor feed for the former half, Nathan Boyo. Taps it past to Jacob Markstrom, 1-0 Buffalo after one. But in the second, the Canucks coming in waves, but Bo Horvat robbed by Carter Hutton. A Larsonist glove save denies Bo his 10th of the season. But the Canucks' relentless pressure pays off. Marcus Granlund, nice play to Louis Erickson in the slot, and Louis finds net again. Third goal in two games. Maybe he's on one of those streaks he's been known for. Granlund playing well, too. 1-1. Then in the final minute, Jake Vertanen uses that speed off his off wing. Slides the sharp backhander past Hutton. Seventh of the year for Shotgun Jake, who is having the breakout season that the Canucks, and he has been waiting for. 2-1 after two. Third period, more from the Canucks. They're really firing a lot of pucks on net, and it's paying off. Eric Goodbranson scoring here. It took a deflection off a of Sabre. Goodbranson, now an unlikely five-game point streak. Six points in that span. He's playing great. 3-1 Vancouver, but with the extra attacker, the Sabres... Make it 3-2. Jeff Skinner makes it 3-2. And then 40 seconds later, this is one Jacob Markstrom would love to have back. A, just a big, fat, juicy rebound on a weak shot. And Sam Reinhart knocks in the tying goal. That's costly. Two quick goals send this one to extra time. Couples, uh, Canucks had a couple of late power plays in overtime but could not convert. In the shootout, Marcus Granlund scores to even it up here 1-1. So the Canucks in good shape, but needed a save from their goalie, and they didn't get it. Casey Middlestad answers. Deeks Markstrom out of his shorts there. First career shutout or shootout goal for Middlestad. So that left it up to Nikolai Goldobin, but he cannot lift it over the pad of Carter Hutton, who certainly was the better goalie today. Canucks let one slip away. 4-3 shootout loss, but still 4-6 to six points on the road. Next stop, Broadway Monday against the Rangers. Brock Besser, by the way, will not play the rest of the trip. They want to heal that groin fully. Leafs and Bruins. Boston coming off that 8-5 loss to the Canucks Thursday. Leafs 6-0 on the road. Despite outshooting Boston 26 in the first Patrice Bergeron got the only goal, deflecting it past Garrett Sparks, and then Bergeron to David Pasternak. What a one-timer by Pasternak. He had two, and the Bruins 5-1 right now late in the third, so that Leaf Road win streak will come to an end. Golden Knights and Habs from Montreal. Max Pacioretty returning to Montreal for the first time since being traded to Vegas. Nice ovation from the appreciative Hab crowd. Second period tied at two. Habs were down 2-0, but the uh, young Finn... 18-year-old Jesperi Kotkaniemi makes it 3-2 halves. They were down 4-3 in the third until they tie it. Max Domi is stopped, but Andrew Shaw will chip in the rebound. His second of the night, 4-4, and the Habs aren't done. How about for some irony here? Thomas Tatar, the guy who the Habs traded in the Pacioretty deal, scores here, and the Habs now have the lead 5-4 very late in the third. 
Well, who knows what to expect tomorrow in Hamilton between the Lions and Ticats. Both teams have limped into this playoff game. Hamilton's lost four straight and has suffered some injuries to key players, most notably their dynamic receiver Brandon Banks, who is out for the season with a broken collarbone. BC dropped its last two, but only after clinching their playoff spot. The defense will get a big boost with the return of Solomon Elamimian, and he feels the D will have to lead the way again to get the Lions a win in Hamilton. I think the recipe has always been consistent. When we play physical, when we play smart, we always give ourselves the best chance. And going into that hostile environment, you have to, we have to come out fast. We can't let them jump on us. We can't let the crowd get involved. We have to come out fast and um, make plays early on because that's a hostile environment. And, um, you know, we know our record away, but I feel like, you know what, when our team, when our back's been against the wall throughout the season, we've always responded in a positive way, and I'm, I'm certainly for us to respond the same way we have all season. NBA Today, Raptors and Knicks. Toronto with an NBA best 11-1 record. Perfect 6-0 at home. It was their depth players who shone today. OG Ananobi with the layup and foul. Three-point play gave the Raps the lead. It was 64-53 Toronto at the half. Third quarter, off the offensive rebound by Kawhi Leonard. Pascal Siakam, the big man, can shoot the three. That's why the Raps are so dangerous. So many weapons. Siakam, a team-high 23. It was 100-82 after three. And in the fourth, Jonas Valanciunas, two of his 19 off the bench in just 21 minutes. The Raps roll 128-112 despite just 12 from Leonard and 10 from Kyle Lowry. Better depth than ever in Toronto, who are now 12-1 tops in the NBA. Welcome back. The Seahawks have a tall order in front of them tomorrow in L.A., taking on the NFC West leading Rams. Seattle almost upset the Rams a few weeks ago, but it would be the shock of the season if they could pull it off on the road. More from Chanel in the red zone. The Seahawks begin the second half of their schedule against one of the NFL's elite. In fact, their next three against teams that are combined 17-7-1. and A daunting task on Sunday versus the Rams who are coming off their first loss. You can't like Seattle's chances against an angry L.A. team that has dominated the Hawks in the last five seasons and is undefeated at home in 2018. The Rams got shredded last week, giving up almost 500 yards of offense and in the last two weeks have allowed 72 points. Now the good news is Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup are both back and that's bad news for the Hawks secondary. The pair combined for 203 yards and a couple of scores versus the Saints. How do you stop Todd Gurley? He scored in every game this season, amassing over 1,200 total yards, 16 touchdowns, 12 of them coming on the ground. Odds are he will add to his totals and score again. Now he's torched Seattle of late. In the last two meetings, 293 yards, seven touchdowns. Seattle is allowing 4.8 yards a carry, tied for 26th in the NFL. When Russell Wilson faced L.A. a month ago, he only threw the ball 21 times. That likely won't be the case on Sunday. With question marks at running back, Wilson could try to do what Drew Brees did, take advantage of a suspect Rams pass defense. L.A. has allowed more passes of 40 yards or more, 11 of them, than any team in the NFL. But he faces one of the defensive monsters in Aaron Donald. Ten sacks through nine games, and Seattle allowed four last week. With guard DJ Fluker dealing with an injury, it could be a long day for Wilson. 
he doesn't get proper protection. Now, the last thing Seattle needs is more injuries, but three key players went down last week. No Chris Carson would be huge, as he racked up 116 yards versus the Rams earlier this season. LA is favored by 10 and a half, the first time Seattle has been double-digit underdogs in seven years. The Hawks are three and six in their last nine versus the Rams, but did win on the road last season. All right, English Premiership. Most of the big teams play tomorrow. Crystal Palace and Tottenham Hotspur today. Just one goal, 66th minute off the corner kick. Juan Foyth converts the second chance. Gives Spurs the full three points. One nil final. They're now in fourth with 27 points. The feature matchup tomorrow has Man City taking on Man United. And a beautiful day in Cancun, Mexico. Third round of the Mayakoba Classic. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin enjoying the sunshine. Makes a long birdie here at 14 to get to minus 15. He was in the top four, but a couple of late bogeys in the round have Adam tied for eighth at minus 13. He's the only Canadian to make the cut. Everyone is chasing... Smiling Matt Kuchar, a great tee shot on the par three, right over top of the flag to about three feet. Kuchar is at 20 under par, and he has a four-shot lead entering the final round. Yeah, make sure you watch that. Now, finally tonight, if you love trains, you need to get yourself to Vancouver's p and &E Forum this weekend. They've got a number of collectible heritage model trains that have been set up. You also get the chance to see how smart trains are controlled with tablets and computers. So a real fun day for the entire family. It runs until 5 o'clock tomorrow. Sometimes the parents are dragging the kids here because they want to pull them away from their computers, <laughs> not realizing that many of these trains actually have computers in them. Here is a place to uh, exercise some really fine, actually, artwork and to explore electronics and electricity and all kinds of things. Love that guy's enthusiasm. Yeah. So jolly. Funny how if you ever go into a toy store with the train set, the kids just all are mesmerized yeah. Yeah. by it. But the parents are also mesmerized. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so if you are heading down there and you're going to take the bus, the weather? It's tomorrow. looking good tomorrow. For all the Remembrance Day ceremonies, it will be dry. We will see some fog for the morning hours that will hopefully dissipate just in time. And around 11 a.m., we're sitting at 7 or 8 degrees. So if you're outside, uh, be prepared. It'll be on the cool side, but a nice dry day. Thank you very much for watching. Have yourselves a good night. Uh, Jordan will be here at 11. Good night. Good night.